Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis. Just briefly, Blake Murphy here for uh, the opening just segment. Bit. Yeah, just uh, just a taste. So uh, we'll make it count as you are departing to be part of uh, Raptors Bucks pregame on uh, Sportsnet. Um, I'm really hungry. Started, Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm always hungry, but I'm even more hungry now because I started after gaining like seven pounds on my on my oh goodness on my my tropical locale vacation last week. I, I'm trying. I'm I'm doing the intermittent fasting thing, or at least attempting to. Where we, I, we I don't just have don't have enough time to get into this. What I just I feel very strongly about this kind of stuff and the culture around weight and body image and stuff and like. If intermittent fasting works for you, that's great. I'm trying it out. But the fact that you stepped on the scale when you got back from Mexico and felt badly about that after enjoying a wonderful week with your family is, I don't know. I, I don't like that. And I, I don't like not that every, you... Not everybody has to live their life that way. I know. I, I want to feel better about myself that way. And which also, is, I want more energy, honestly. Which is great. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I don't like the fact that like you're sitting here like, oh, I'm hungry and... You're t- also telling yourself, well, I can't eat. Yeah. Like no, hunger, I, hunger is your body being like, mm-hmm. hey, man, I would like. It's yeah, not but like you're bored. You'll probably be bored yeah, when I leave. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I don't think you should give in to every bodily urge. Do you? No. <laughs> but like hunger and thirst are right. pretty, you know, pretty but well I've, regulated. Yes. And Except I know when you, you when you eat a lot of food, guess what? Your body's like, oh, yeah, yes. we're used to eating a lot of food. And it's going to take a while for my body to be like, oh, yes. we're not eating that much food anymore. And that this sucks. is the thing with intermittent fasting or any diet that you find that works for you. And diet's maybe not the right word. Any system that you find works for you is there is an adjustment period and a ramp yeah. up period where it'll probably feel uncomfortable. I just you I, look like food to me now. That's all I'm saying is just be on the lookout. Like I'm I'm hungry. Like, look, I got I, I've got. Meet despair. <laughs> it would be fine. Uh, you right. want me with you on a stranded island or whatever where eventually people got to eat each other. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm yeah. just, I'm living my life hungry now for yeah. like the next couple of weeks, I suppose, bef- before this thing really kicks in. Um, yeah. So I guess I'm, I'm of the belief that it no longer is breakfast the most important meal of the day. That was a big misnomer, wasn't it? Or, or I guess there's different schools of thought. There was also this big alcohol study too. Like you're only supposed to have two drinks a week. Is what the, what the, the people in charge are saying, which changes like on the daily, it feels like. It used to be like two glasses of wine a day, I thought was, was, yeah. was Again, good for this, your heart. This is the one of the issues that I have is like the culture around this stuff and the capitalistic urge to continually change the goalposts and the methods so that you can always make money off of this stuff. How are they but, making money off people not drinking alcohol? It's like the non-alcohol, I guess the, you know what, the non-alcoholic beer uh, lobby. Maybe maybe they're the, banking on this. The, what are they, the spicy water, what do they call that? <laughs> Sparkling water, the, all the flavored ones? Oh yeah, I drink one. That, man, I am addicted to that stuff. I used to hate it, but then, yeah, now I can't yeah. stop. Anyway, the truth with all of this stuff is that you have to trial and error and find what works yeah, right for you and your this. body and yeah. So good for you. I just, and I'm all for you trying what works for you. I just don't want you to come in here feeling bad about yourself after oh. a beautiful vacation with your beautiful family. I don't. No, listen, I don't. But I, I'd like to, to lose a couple pounds. Yeah, who wouldn't? I would like to not feel so hungry all the time, but I guess. I would love to not be heading into almost year two of long COVID complications that keep me from working out the way I'm used to. But here we are. Yeah, here we are. All right, let's get to the sports uh, with today's top story. Um, 
I think time has finally come for Tom Brady. You, you know, he battled time in his, uh, what, his Facebook internet series, and I, I think it's, it's finally come for Tom Brady. And that, it's been said before. I mean, his final season in New England when he throws the interception to end that postseason game against the Titans, um, headed into free agency, a lot of people thought it was over for him then, and then all he did was win a Super Bowl in his first season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but attempting 60-plus passes yesterday. I know the counting stats look okay. Guy looked horrible. Like, if you watch the football game, like, Tom Brady looked Awful. He had one great long pass that went through the hands of Mike Evans, which like a thousand of those uh, instances have happened throughout the course of the season. He also missed Mike Evans like wide open right before. Ha- like he just, he looked awful. And and I think it's very reasonable to assume that that was the final game of the greatest quarterback of all time's incredible career. So you're saying TB12 is not the system you'll be going to if intermittent fasting no, doesn't work No, I can't you? afford that many avocados is the problem. Yeah, or the... Phytonutrients in the water, or whatever. Yeah. No, I can't. Uh, I can't hire Alex Guerrero. No, I'm. I'm glad you said that about the counting stats, though, because I do think that's been a, a story of Brady's time in Tampa Bay. Is that the counting stats are so resounding? Like he's led the league in completions and attempts two years in a row. Last year, led the league in yards and touchdowns. And I do wonder at some point if. Yeah, like the teams haven't been bad. He hasn't been awful. The completion rate is still good and stuff. But how much about of this is just making sure all your all-time records can never be touched again, even as the passing boom happens? Um, but I think, yeah, you look at some of the non-counting stuff, and whether you like quarterback rating or QBR or you just want to look at some percentages or even something as simple as yards per attempt or air yards per attempt, it was resoundingly resoundingly one of if not the worst season of Tom Brady's career despite all the counting stats that he threw for almost 4,700 yards and led the lead set a, a another new record in completions and attempts it just like maybe that offense just needed it and, and you know he's transitioned into being the king of the check down or whatever well but- it should be said also that like last season it was second in MVP voting right like it yeah. was incredible like I, one season and that ago team is not good. Yeah. Like he he did all that stuff and had all those counting sets. They still went eight and nine, mm-hmm. and that's not because he was bad. Like he had a twenty five to nine touchdown to interception ratio. He wasn't old Tom Brady, but it's not like he was really bad. But he wasn't that, good. That team wasn't built well enough around him to you know take full advantage of the player he is at this point. And yeah, if you're a team like the Raiders that has been linked that have been linked to him, like. Are you looking at him as a guy that can propel, help your offense take a step forward? Like, are we sure that he's enough of an upgrade on Derek Carr beyond just getting in a place with better weapons around him and and maybe a better offensive coordinator? Well, and and, and if if you're Josh McDaniels and you realize that like if things go continue, yes. like if they continue along the path, like you were supposed to compete at the top of the AFC mm-hmm. West this past season, you were. Awful. Like, the only bigger joke in, well, turns out in the same division, uh, was the Denver Broncos, right? Like, you were an absolute, absolute joke. You were a joke in your final seasons with the Denver Broncos. You've done nothing, essentially, outside of being Tom Brady's offensive coordinator in New England. And this is it. If it doesn't work for you next season, not only are you probably not getting another head coaching gig ever, but, like, this is you're saddled with the title of, like, the one of the biggest coordinator flop head coaches of all time do you want to attach that to 46 year old tom brady i don't know and we're already hearing i believe the rumor was out there yesterday that if frank reich can't find uh, another head coaching job after his stint in indy 
the possible move for the Chargers is him to be their offensive coordinator there. Like you can always move back to a coordinator spot, but that takes a bit of, you know, a, a step back in terms of ego and, and ambition mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, and I will say, I, I know I just made a negative comment about Tampa Bay's offensive coordinator. It's Byron Leftwich, who I really, really wanted as the next head coach of the well, Jacksonville he's Jaguars at the now. time. Yeah, it's uh, and who knows? Maybe that's not entirely on him, but it sure the the shine sure came off that entire offensive environment this year. So yeah, the- I, I think they've got. I mean, they've got a pretty clear path forward in that I don't think Tom Brady is their quarterback next year and that means you know I don't I don't have Leonard Fournette's contract status in front of me but if he's not a free agent he's probably available as well and then you have the big you know Mike Evans at age 29 age 30 question Um, but at least at the quarterback spot like I think we are all not expecting to like Tom Brady has thrown his last pass as a Tampa. Bay oh Buccaneer. yeah. 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 And he essentially like admitted that uh, on the podium yesterday, it's, it's, let's, and we can maybe talk about the game or maybe not. I think Brady is the most interesting thing. I like, okay. The Cowboys were the superior team during the regular season. They should have won that game. That sh- that was the result that sh- we should have expected and kind of did. And the only reason we didn't was because there was Tom Brady standing mm-hmm. there, the greatest quarterback of all time, who was kind of, he's turned it on at times in the postseason. And then as the game was going, we also had the, well, Brett Maher is oh was 50 of 52 on Dude. extra points and then missed his last one in the regular season and then missed four in a row. And, it just like it just until Tampa Bay missed that first two point conversion, it was just lining up in such a way of you turned a four score game into a three 100%. score game. Oh my god! Oh no! There's too much time on the I clock. Mean, I mean, even like uh, yeah, even recovering the onside kick it was like an outside, outside, outside chance that Tom Brady was going to turn this into like his absolute greatest comeback. To, despite he, coming back, he's from not that guy anymore. No, he's not. Yeah, I mean, right after the onside kick, he threw that long pass that went through Mike Evans' hands. But I'm not yeah. saying he's a bad quarterback. He's just, he's 45 years old. Yep, and he's going to be 46 uh, before week one of the next NFL season. So let's, for a second here, try to put ourselves in Tom Brady's head because this is, oh and I know, and it's so impossible, and, and so much has changed for him. It's been a lot, it's been a bad, like, you know, 12 months for the guy, personally, professionally, all that. Um but yeah, does Tom Brady want to go out like this is a question I asked myself. The other question was, does Tom Brady want to be in a situation that's even more embarrassing than what we saw for 60 minutes well, of football that's, yesterday? And that's how this eventually ends for everyone, right? Like if you demand on going out, if you demand to go out on top, and this is kind of what we were talking about with Lionel Messi mm-hmm. um, when it, it sounded like he might be going to Miami was like, well, yeah, in terms of important football, you went out on top. And now that's that's gravy at that point. But that's not the case for Tom Brady. It's not like he won all the Super Bowls and was like, ah, I'm going to catch a cash a check and have fun. It's No, the, the expectation in the NFL is always that it's Super Bowl or bust. So if you're him and you want to go out on top like okay, this season was good in terms of counting stats. You could at least... You made you know, the playoffs. You could bring up the football card. You could look at his football card and be like, geez, his last regular season was pretty good and they made the playoffs. 100%. And he was 45 years yep. old. That's incredible. But if he looks at it and says, well, I didn't win a playoff game. I was out in the first round. Uh, I'm going to try to run this back with the Raiders. And then the AFC West proves too difficult and he doesn't make the playoffs next year. Is he then coming back and trying a different situation because, oh, I can't go out not making the playoffs? Like, 
almost every top boxer of all time has gone through exactly this. And then you get, you finally get knocked out once and you lose. And then it's like, well, I got to go out on my terms. I got to go out on top. And then when you are the type of person that we think Tom Brady is, a couple things are going to happen. One is you will refuse to go out at anything less than on top and you'll keep chasing that. And then if you rediscover being on top, you can't walk away. Well, and, and also that's what Tom Brady has dealt with, right? He's had opportunities to walk out on top. Sure. I mean, season one with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, what is a, a Super Even Bowl? Even last year, yeah. He second in MVP voting. He and, won and a came, playoff game. Came back against the Rams, and it took a spectacular play to knock him out of the playoffs. Yeah. Right? Like, absolutely. Would have been a fine time to walk away. And the, he also retired. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is that. Yeah, for 40 days. Um yeah, the the other thing that these high level and nobody's as high level as Tom Brady in this sport, the the, the other um, through line trait that they all have is they're delusional, right? Mm-hmm. They, they they never want to believe that the end is coming. And for Tom Brady, he's been so right for so long when so many of us were were so wrong about how long he could continue to play. So I, do I think Tom Brady is is thinking to himself, yeah, you know what? I just I don't have it anymore. I I can't believe that. Like I think. You know what's crazy? So, I think he thinks he can do it again. I think he probably does too. And he probably looks at something like the passing volume he had and thinks to himself, well, if I'm in a situation with, you know, a, a stronger running game and and a better defense so we don't have to rely on my arm as much, like imagine how good I could be if I don't have to throw the most passes in the NFL. Right. And sure, maybe that's a thing. Um, this is only the, so he's made the playoffs 20 times. That's a lot. This is only the fourth <laughs> time he's won and done. Yeah, I know. And it's the incredible. last time he left New England. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he's like really good and stuff. And yeah, yeah I mean, the, of all the unbreakable statistical markers he's laid down, like the postseason stuff is, the, the, and not just the Super Bowls, but like yeah. the, the, the counting stats in the playoffs. I mean, the fact the that playoffs. he's played 48 games. <laughs> he has started 48 <laughs> playoff games stupid. at quarterback. I don't know. Yeah. Like that is 12 seasons of going all the way and also not having a buy. Like that's how difficult it would be to match that. It's yeah. I don't think he has much to worry about, about the counting sets. And he's also like, even with passing, having exploded, like there is absolutely like, he's <laughs> part of me wonders too, like he's getting close to a hundred thousand career passing yards and yeah, sure. it would probably take three more seasons at this point, but like nobody, no active player is within 25,000 yards of him. Well, you know what? The thing is, like, okay, he was he was bad this year. There's really no question about it. His team was bad, though, and for whatever, I mean, there were weapons. So I know Julio Jones is a thousand years old, yeah. and Chris Godwin's always hurt, but Mike Evans was there, and for whatever reason, that they, they, they couldn't figure it out. And, I, and like, let's call that division what it is. Like, it's it's kind of embarrassing that a team like Tampa Bay made the playoffs. And no kidding, they were under 500 despite yes. getting to play those those other garbage teams six yes. times. And like, Carolina punted on the season, fired its coach, traded away its best player, and like almost won that division like it, it took a late season surge for Tom Brady and the Buccaneers yeah. uh to and win. they were only four and two against those dregs yeah. in their division but that was enough yeah that was enough you went four and seven against everyone else and yeah do you want to do Brett Maher here for a second because yeah. okay so I'm a bad person because I don't like I felt bad ish but like I was kind of recalling the conversations I had when Chris Davis was, you know, spilling his guts when he was done, done, done for like the last three years that he was still in Major League Baseball for a Baltimore Orioles team that was going nowhere and signed him to that huge, huge deal. 
Um, and, you know, that was a sad story. I got it. Like, the, the guy, you know, he is a human being. He has... Fa- but that's... I didn't necessarily feel bad for Chris Davis, and I didn't necessarily feel feel bad for, for Brett Maher. And I guess they're slightly different because it's just one instance, and, and for Chris Davis, it was like, yeah, every day he had well, to step out there and strike out four times a game. Here's the other difference, though. We're talking about a minimum salaried kicker right. early in his career yep. versus a guy who faced all those struggles after he got the payday. Yeah, at least. he was getting, yes, yes. It was set for generations upon generations, Chris Davis was. So you're right. That's a, a huge line of delineation and also in a sport without guaranteed contracts. Yeah. But this is kind of why I love sports. I mean, it's part of it, the human drama, right? That that it's it's on display in the positive and we can watch Tom Brady with an an all-time great career uh, and come back and, and and win Super Bowls despite being down 28 to 3. But there is another side of that, right? Like there is a Matt Ryan side of that. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. And Matt Ryan, not the same because, yeah, you're right. The money thing is different. Matt Ryan got paid, borderline Hall of Famer. But this is part of the reason we love sports is mm-hmm. because things like Brett Maher can happen, that you can be one of the better kickers in the NFL, which he has been, especially from distance this year, and go through something like this. Well, that was like the joke, this. right? Like, hey, take a penalty before the extra point Dude. so you can move it back. Is there a rule that you you can't just step backwards? <laughs> like Pascal Siakam at the free throw strike? Yeah. 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 Um, no, and look, if extra points were a lock, touchdowns would just count for seven. Yeah. There's yeah. a reason that we, we do that, right? It's But that was the worst... No one's ever missed four straight extra points in an NFL game. It's just no, and never it happened. Five straight overall. Yeah. Two. It's yeah. like, like, I know that he hit one at the end, mm-hmm. like on the last touch. By the way, I know that the Manning cast didn't go away from this. All-time botch from the production side that they didn't show the his extra point that he made it. Like on the main feed, yeah. they were showing replays when he lined up the Brutal. kick. That's yeah. all anybody cared about yeah. at that point of the football game. Here's the the toughest question for me. He was obviously in his own head and had a bit of yips there, but he also went 50 of 53 on extra points in the regular season and was pretty good overall, 29 of 32 with a long of 60. What do you do this week if you're the Cowboys? They're, they're holding on to him. That's the thing. And that's why, you know, I, I saw a lot of Twitter discussion about how do you let him kick it? Well, at that point, like, you got to see him. Well, you, you, well, you got to make one. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything at no, that point, right? It's like practice, right? But, but like, you head into this week... It's not like you're not carrying two kickers just in case. No, you not can't. on a playoff roster with no. those tough decisions. No, I think if he's if he shows the that like he gets one shot, like first touchdown, you score and and he misses the extra point, you're going for two the rest of the way. I mean, it, it actually worked out for the Cowboys yesterday because in, instead of attempting a shortish field goal, they went for it on fourth down, scored a touchdown. Right. Um, but yeah, before we we move on to the Raptors quickly, like. What was your gut? Like, how did you feel? Did you feel sorry? Like, did you want to, like, look away from the screen when, when Brett Maher was attempting the, the fourth extra point? Give me your honest answer because I know I know your your reputation is Mr. Sensitive. and, and Is that true? Yeah. My, my, my honest answer was that it was funny. Yes. Okay, good. It was yeah. amusing. <laughs> yeah, it was like, amusing. Yeah, if, if that had come back and cost them the game and Brett Maher was cut and we never heard from him again, I would have I would eventually feel bad for... Finding it amusing, but it was funny. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I'm glad. You, and like, as you far as playoffs go, it was. It ended up being low stakes, and we got the we got the best of everything. Where the Cowboys still did Cowboys things and yes. hilarious. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness, I can't believe the Cowboys. And Tom Brady was miserable. 
And, <laughs> and the he one tried guy to slide to, to knock somebody's ankle yeah, off tackle, too. Yeah. And the one guy that you would feel bad for from all of it got to kick one extra point and gets another week to like mm. we we got our cake and ate it. Yeah, we sure did. And that was today's top story. All right. So like I said, you're you're leaving us in uh, in in mere moments to be part of the Raptors pregame broadcast. No Giannis, no Chris Middleton for the Bucks, which is I and mean no Serge Ibaka. Yes, uh, we didn't see Serge last time Raptors played the Bucks as well, but he's away on. Uh, he's got a personal, personal matter, matter yeah. I suppose. Um, so yeah, that that does the Raptors a favor if they want to win the basketball game, which yeah I mentioned yesterday they shouldn't want to, but of course the players are are, are gonna want to. Um, James Jarania reported that the Raptors have shown interest in Jakob Pertl, former Raptors center, uh, Spurs center Jakob Pertl, has gained significant trade interest from teams such as the Toronto Raptors and Boston Celtics. That's a direct quote. So we can start with that if if you want. Um, I don't, like, because we heard that, we heard that a while ago when the possibility of a Raptors return to relevance in the Eastern Conference was a more likely scenario and i don't know if that's just like old like there's no you didn't say recently in that so that could just be like hey before the raptors showed everybody that they can only beat the they can beat charlotte and i i guess they can beat the knicks in overtime um but yeah they're not a good basketball team that's although and jacob Pertle is a pending free agent but you'd, I guess, have his bird rights if you did trade for him. That's a position of need for this team. It is, and so that's largely what I was going to say, is you have to take whatever the Raptors do, whether it's adding or subtracting or both, you have to take a look at next year's impact as well because even if Gary Trent Jr., Fred Van Vliet, Otto Porter all decline their player options and walked out the door and you get nothing back and you trade away your first-round pick, you're still struggling to get the max cap space. This is the way that... It goes when you have multiple players under big contracts and, you know, you haven't lined yourself up to have a big cap year. If you trade Gary Trent and or Fred Van Vliet or you trade to add someone, you are very much doing your offseason work early. Like, yes, it has an impact the rest of this way. That guy's going to play maybe 30 games for you. It's as much about the offseason and next year as anything. So Jakob Pertl, you would not be able to sign him outright in the offseason you would be able to re-sign him if you acquire his bird rights via trade. Now, is that worth a first-round pick? The the Spurs last year were reported to want multiple first-round picks for Jakob Pertl. If you're a team in the part of the contention curve that the Raptors are, I don't think you give up a first-round pick to get the bird rights to Jakob Pertl. Like, I, I don't think that that is... Uh, that's a good use of your fairly limited resources coming off of years of trading your picks away to maximize that championship team. If it's someone who is under contract a little longer, maybe you can get find your way there. But I, I think even like a Gary Trent trade, like so Jakob Pertl would be an ad, an ad with an eye toward next year. If you're in a sell mode too, if you trade Gary Trent away, which again, the reports from Shams and Jake Fisher have a lot of teams interested in Gary Trent and most of the league figuring Gary Trent will be moved at some point. Yeah. It is, it's great to get a first round pick back in that deal. It's a cool draft. We love young guys. We love player development. You don't have a path in free agency to replace Gary Trent Jr. Other than the mid-level exception that over the last couple of years has gotten you Aaron Baines, Alex Len, no, Otto Porter, Rondé no, Hollis, no. Jefferson. <laughs> no like, more. That's what you've done with the mid-level the last few years. Well, so you you should probably get a player back dude, in a Gary Trent deal that you can either re-sign or is under contract for next year. 100%. No, this is a really interesting 
part of the conversation because the Raptors are not in a long-term rebuild. Honestly, like, you know, I mean, the re- the word or the term retool gets thrown around way too much probably in, in pro sports. And, and I think the Vancouver Canucks should do more than, than retool. But this team honestly just looks like a, a retooling away, right? Like, especially Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes is still on this team and maybe even OG Ananobi. It's not like you're 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 just you're here going the, to war with those guys and then a bunch of young players yeah. that you just draft. Here here's the other part of all this reporting, right? And and the speculation that's been around the team going back as far as, you know, the post Kawhi thing, but more even more recently, is okay, you could get so much for Pascal Siakam that you almost can't even figure out an in season trade that would be possible. You could get the DeJounte Murray or maybe even Donovan Mitchell deal for OG Ananobi. Scotty Barnes was talked about as a potential centerpiece of a Kevin Durant trade. You have three guys that you just said you could get between the three of them, maybe Kevin Durant and like eight unprotected first round pegs. Uh, maybe you take a look at just how to continue massaging around those well, guys that, yeah, for that's, future years. That's it. Like here, here I'll, I'll paint the ideal in my mind picture is that you hold on to all three of those guys that you trade away Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet. And yes, I, I don't have an exact return that you would get for those guys. But in some way, there's a center that is is playing on this team that is the starting center uh, for the Raptors in 2023-24. In and then you get some assets that you can flip to add to the depth of this team. Because that was a major, major issue for this mm-hmm. team. And you need to... I mean, Nick Nurse, you can uh, bellyache all you want about how many minutes he plays the starters, but his options are very limited. So you need to you need to change that. That's one of the major areas of need for, for next and season. And it's also, and I wrote about this recently at sportsnet.ca, and it'll come up a bunch uh, again ahead of the deadline. This is the, you know, we can call it, I know when a, a country hosts the Olympics, they call it a legacy cost. All the, like, buildings you built and the taxpayer money you spent that once the Olympics are done, there's no use for any of it. This is kind of the legacy cost of the championship where, yeah, those guys, the the guys, six ninths, six out of nine rotation pieces left with very little return. Precious to and Gary Trent Jr. But it's also that you traded four first-round picks and seven second-round picks in the lead-up to the championship to both optimize that roster and, yeah, unfortunately, to lower the tax bill a little bit. You also dealt some of those. Um, like, you had to find a taker for Damari Carroll's contract to continue building. You had to unload the Greg Monroe's and Malachi Richardson's of the world with second-round picks. But you traded four firsts and seven seconds in the lead up to that. And part of the depth issue is no matter how good you are, player development and talent identification, if you never have draft picks, right. it's going to be hard to find those guys. Like in 2019, they had the number 59 pick. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's that's not going to. That's like that. Unless and that's someone who would be in their fourth year right now <laughs> heading into free agency. Like the fourth year of a rookie scale contract yeah. is like generally speaking, the most efficient contract year you can have other than like LeBron and Giannis on the max yeah, because and- that guy is still extremely cheap. And by your fourth year, you're contributing to winning. Like usually if you were to sort for a dollar per win, max contract superstars and guys in the fourth year of the rookie scale contracts, mm. you don't have one from 2019. Your one from 2020 is Malachi Flynn. Who's in and out of the rotation. Yeah. And Did Peyton Pritchard go in front of him or behind him? I think in front. Yeah. I don't. I was not a big Peyton Pritchard guy at the draft, though. So may a culp on that one. But I really wanted Desmond Bain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He went a couple picks before Malachi. All right. Uh, we know you got to go. Yeah, I got to go do TV.
Do you want to have a, a thought on on Roger Center Reno stuff that we saw today? Because I'm going to talk to Ben Nicholson Smith yeah. after six o'clock. I press him on my conspiracy theory. Yeah, that's maybe not even a conspiracy theory anymore. Like, I, I really do think part of why the dimensions aren't being released until February, and, and part of why what we saw today was still limited is, look, I don't know for sure that they changed anything. But I do think with all those weird angles and, and differing outfield wall heights and stuff like that. No, they knew like outfield that, defense was going to be a premium. Yeah, they they certainly. And again, we don't have the dimensions, but the fact that they added multiple dead pull side left-handed hitters. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if right field plays a little friendlier than left field. We'll see. I don't know. Um, maybe that's not the best strategy in the AL East, but also it's a more balanced schedule now. I don't know. But outfield defense is like. Like, they very, very clearly tooled their outfield around, hey, it's going to be a tougher outfield to play now. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see it fully completed. It, like, it's exciting every time we get a little uh, glimpse as to how the renovations are going. Um, we're only a couple of months away from opening day. Yesterday was actually one month until pitchers and catchers report to spring training, so it's it, we're zoning in on it. All right, we're zoning in on you uh, doing your other job. So, peace. Man. See ya. See ya. There goes uh, Blake Murphy. When we come back... Leafs also playing tonight as they are hosting the disappointing Florida Panthers. We'll talk to Michael Trakos of uh, Post Media next. The fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Fan drive time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Ben Ennis. So we saw one of the games of the year on Saturday. Leafs, Bruins in Boston, a couple of teams that know each other from a couple of postseason series and at the top of the Atlantic division might find themselves in a postseason battle this spring. Nothing cleanses the palate quite like the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Florida Panthers tonight at uh, Scotiabank Arena. Let's talk to Michael Trakos, a post media and a author of The Next Ones. How's it going, Michael? Pretty good there, Ben. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. I, I wish I was back uh, watching that game we saw on Saturday. Uh, and sure, it, it, you should definitely watch tonight's game because it's on Sportsnet. But it's it's hard to get as as geeked up for this thing. Is there is there a way to make the regular season more like what we saw on Saturday? You know what? I'm with you, man, because I'm looking at the schedule right now and I'm looking at where the Leafs are in the standings. And it's hard to imagine a first round opponent that's not going to be Tampa Bay. And it's like we're still six weeks out from the trade deadline. We still have months to go before the end of the season. And I'm already telling you, like, hey, the games don't matter. They're going to face Tampa, and we'll go from there. But, yeah, I'm with you. That that game on Saturday was probably the closest thing we've seen to a playoff caliber hockey game this year. I have high hopes for tonight's game. I think Florida is one of those teams to really keep an eye on in the second half, especially with how much ground they have to pick up. Uh, that being said, I think they're primed to miss the playoffs this year, which would be just devastating for Paul Maurice and company. Oh, yeah. Uh, it'd be great for the Montreal Canadiens, though, who control their, their, their first-round pick. Um, yeah, so uh, we'll be looking out for that. Um, what is the thing you're most interested in, Leaf-wise, as we play out the string here in the final 30-some-odd uh, games before the real season, which is the postseason? You know what? It has nothing to do with the roster as constructed. I know a lot of people are really freaking out about Morgan Riley and whether his game has really fallen off a map and that injury might have set him back worse than 
uh, we were led to believe. But I'm not so much worried about this roster who might be playing goal on a night-to-night basis. I'm just more focused on who do they get at the trade deadline. And we know they have to get someone. Um, This playoffs um, are just going to be more important than ever. And it seems like we do say this every year. But really, it's going to be an arms race. It's not so much about who Toronto gets. It's who Tampa gets and who Boston gets and, um, like, where does Bo Horvat end up? Where does Ryan O'Reilly end up? Uh, does Toronto uh, land uh, a guy like Timo Meyer? I'm really uh, anxious to see if they load up on offense, if they get another guy on the back end, if they get both, uh, if they're willing to kind of, you know, put their chips in and say this is the year where we're going to finally win a Stanley Cup and we're going all in on this. So that's the kind of thing I'm kind of looking forward to. I know we're six weeks away, but I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot more movement um, in these next couple weeks, especially after um, well, I was paying attention to Jim Rutherford's press conference yeah. yesterday in Vancouver. And I think that's the team that, you know, that press conference in my mind was him was Rutherford telling the hockey world, Hey, we're open for business. Make us an offer for Bo Horvat, make us an offer for Brock Messer. And if I'm the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Boston Bruins, uh, I'm picking up the phone saying, yeah, what's, what's it going to take to get this guy? Because Horvat in my mind is going to be the first domino to fall. Yeah. Well, and, and Riley, Ryan O'Reilly, I mean, depending on the health, if he, if he comes back and looks like uh, Ryan O'Reilly of old with the blues, uh, another guy that's a pending uh, free agent could could be an intriguing ad as well. Um, both guys play up the middle, but yeah, you could maybe massage that. And and nothing wrong with having too many centermen. The Bo Horvat one though is is super interesting. Uh, two way player. I mean, both guys are two way players, but having a career year. So obviously, like the idea of re-signing Bo Horvat um, outside of somebody else major, like somebody in the top in in the core four being traded out of town this offseason. Like you're not. It's a pure pure rental, which. I mean, Maple Leafs have a, 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 I guess, a checkered history uh, with that, with the the Felino trade, which didn't work out. I mean, no fault of anybody's, I suppose. Felino just wasn't healthy there. I mean, the the, the guy that that keeps rattling around in my my mind as far as trade bait, it's obviously not Nick Robertson anymore, who's out for the the rest of the season. Is Matthew Nyes, right? Who we thought might be added to this team before the postseason run a season ago and opted not to sign. He's eligible to do the same this year. Uh, if he's not playing in a top six role, though, which it would be, I mean, despite his success um, with the Gophers and, and all that, like, uh, yeah, there would be a hard, hard uh, leap to make. Isn't I, I know it would hurt to, to, to trade away a guy that's so close to the National Hockey League level, but is that not your trump card if it is, in fact, a seller's market? Hey Ben, if you're gonna have to, if you're gonna go in for like a Horvat or like any of the names I mentioned, and let's be honest, like I don't recall another trade deadline where this many star players were available, and that's including like whether Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tays agreed to waive the no trade clause. Like, well, we're talking about a who's who of you know all star caliber players. It's gonna take moving a first round pick and a Matthew Nice. So you know. What are you waiting for if you're the Leafs? Like, I, I say this every year. Like, you think you have a Stanley Cup contending team? Well, you got to go for it. And Tampa Bay last year, what they gave up two first round picks for Brandon Hagel, finally they were able to re sign the guy. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of the move that Kyle Dubas is probably going to make. Um, uh, yeah, both Horvat, it looks like if you want your rental, but I think whoever they're eyeing, I think they're going to be eyeing for. Um, Maybe not just that rental opportunity. I think they're going to be looking at, hey, who can we 
acquire and sign or who can we acquire who has some years remaining on their deal and yeah maybe it means that you've got to move one of those core pieces in the summer that that's a decision for the summer in my mind right now your, your focus is on the Stanley Cup playoffs and getting over that hump and you know if they don't get over that hump Kyle Dubas's job is very much in jeopardy and uh, Sheldon Keefe along with them and uh, don't be you know don't forget that you know if this team doesn't get over that hump this year I think guys like Matthews and company are going to be looking around going geez do I want to go through this again same old questions um, you know the same sort of feel when you go into training camp and I, I think it's just paramount that this team has to get over that hump. And you know you're going to be playing Tampa. It's not going to be an easy opponent. You're facing arguably the best goaltender in the world. You're facing a team that's been there, done that over and over and over again and really hasn't lost a step. So this is the time to load up. It's not the time to say, hey, Matthew Nyes is a great prospect. Let's look at keeping him in the organization. No, it's, it's hey, let's look at taking that next step. And it's a long overdue step in my mind. No, it feels like Alex Anthopoulos' trade deadline in 2015 for Kyle Dubas, right? Like that those Blue Jays teams had made some, some big moves, uh, splashy trades. In 2013, they were preseason favorites to win the World Series, and they fell flat on their face. And Alex Anthopoulos' contract expired at the end of that 2015 season, and it felt like one last gasp, right? Like it was a desperation move that paid off in spades. He didn't remain with Toronto, but yeah, like he made his entire career and now is a World Series champion after moving on to the Atlanta Braves. It does feel like, and especially if, if things hadn't worked out for that 2015 Blue Jays team, I'm sure we would have had conversations about Alex Anthopoulos, about how selfish those those trades were, right? Like the short-sighted David Price rental trades were where you're giving up future assets for win-now things that, that, guarantee, that don't come close to guaranteeing success. Perhaps you could say the same thing if, if Kyle Dubas goes out and, and mortgages the, the Maple Leafs' future in the form of sending a Matthew Nyes and multiple first-round picks out the door for Bull Horvat. But would anybody fault him, like, considering where this team is and its development? Like, would anybody look at, at, at Kyle Dubas as trying to save his own skin if he pulled off a move for a rental player, which really, like, hampers you down the road? I wouldn't. <laughs> Maybe I would. I don't know. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm, I'm cruel that way. No, but let's face it. Like, I don't want to say we're wasting Austin Matthews' years in Toronto because uh, you know the guy's made the playoffs every single year. He's in the, been in the, the NHL. This isn't like a Jack Eichel situation where he was trying to get out of uh, Buffalo. But same extent, we're, we're talking about one of the top five players in the NHL, and you can throw Marner up there as well. And it sort of is a travesty when you look on paper how good this team is, how much salary is invested in the roster, and they really don't have much playoff success or any playoff success to um, to count for it. So, yeah, it's I don't think you'd fault them for going all in. Um, and, you know, I can look at this roster right now and tell you that it's not a Stanley Cup winning roster. I, I still think they need a body uh, – on defense, I still think they're missing that number one A uh, defenseman. I like Morgan Riley a lot, but I don't think he's quite at that level with the Kale McCars, the Victor Hedmans, the Roman Yossi's. Uh, I would put him sort of as a one B in that uh, in that role. So I think you need some help. If you don't have that big stud on defense, then you better get uh, a guy that at least can play in your top four, especially with Jake Muzzin uh, not not looking like he's going to come back this year. At the same time. 
we know what happens in the playoffs. Every team clamps down on the Matthews line, and they clamp down on the Tavares line, and it ends up being, okay, well, who's got the better third and fourth lines? And Toronto doesn't get much scoring out of the third and fourth line. So yeah, getting some extra scoring punch would help. You know, in an ideal world, maybe Matthew Nyes uh, is so capable that he can slide in there uh, at the end of his college career and jump into this Toronto Maple Leafs roster and uh, be that top nine forward. But that's a lot to ask of a guy that young yeah. that really hasn't played uh, beyond the college level. So uh, I think I'd be more inclined to, you know, roll the dice, so to speak, and get a guy that's a little bit more proven, more track record. I'm not talking about a Nick Felino on his last legs, but mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of options out there where guys are in their mid twenty, mid to late twenties that can help this team uh, offensively, and you know, give you a better chance against the Tampas and the Boston's of the world. No, I'm I'm with you a hundred percent there. I mean, you mentioned the Morgan Riley thing and him being a one B, like he's played at a lower level than that, right? Like him and and Connor Timmins were were pretty unplayable uh, against the Bruins on Saturday, and I get it. Like he, he's only what played nine games since he returned from injury trying to get back into into game shape but this team was playing so well especially defensively while he was out and i'm not saying that that's the the reason why they've they've dipped slightly since he's returned but he hasn't looked like the best version of himself um like is that does that impact the decision making towards the deadline if if morgan riley can't back get back to his most morgan riley-ish i think even if like you know even if riley was back to what what we've always seen out of him and Brody is back to being what he is. Um, I still think this defense needs an upgrade. Um, I'm not saying they need Luke Shen, but they need that sort of player. Um, like times a hundred, to be honest, like they need Jake Muzzin when Jake Muzzin was at his best. Yeah. And you're not going to get that out of Muzzin, even if he were miraculously uh, able to come back, but you need that kind of player. You need a guy that, is not just going to be defensively sound, but can also chip in offensively. And, you know, when, when Muzzin was at his best, uh, you know, that playoff series against Montreal, I believe he had a couple goals. Like, Toronto used to get a lot more offense from their back end, and you can't just constantly rely on your top two lines. Like, some offense has to come from the back end, and it, it, this team could use a big shot from the point. So it might be a lot to ask, but I, I'm just looking out there. you got a John Klingberg. Uh, hanging around. He's going to be available at the trade deadline. Jacob Turkin is still there. He's more than just a rental. Uh, There are options. It's not like I'm just saying, you know, pie in the sky. It would be great if the Leafs had some more uh, offense coming from the back end and another top nine forward. There are bodies out there. There's many of them. And even if they miss out on one or two guys, there's going to be such, this is going to be such a a buyer's market where there seems to be, you know, half the league is in sell mode, and they're selling some pretty good assets. Uh, before I let you go, I uh, really enjoyed your, your, your piece on, on David Pasternak and, and the upcoming uh, negotiations between he and, and the Boston Bruins and hearkening back to the Mitch Marner uh, contract negotiations and the Brad Marchand uh, needling of, of the Maple Leafs on, on Twitter. This is going to be super interesting, though. Uh, Michael, because David Pasternak's real good and stuff and, and scores a lot, and he's well underpaid. And the whole reason the Bruins continue to be good year after year after year after we think that they're going to collapse is because they, they have buy-in from those players who take less than market value. And it would really, really, I mean, if, if they cared about sticking it to the Leafs more than making millions of dollars, which I wouldn't, I would, I would care more about millions of dollars, he would, again, take less than market value, but he, he deserves, I mean, among the highest contracts in the National Hockey League. 
Oh, 100 percent. And, you know, for years, Boston, like, like criminally underpaid their guys. And I don't know if it was a, a Zdeno Chara thing or produced Bergeron thing, but that school of thought is changing, Ben. Like, you look at what Charlie McAvoy was able to get as a free agent recently, and I think he's in double digits. I believe he's $10 million a year. So the idea that Pasternak is going to just settle in for, like, 9 or $10 million, yeah, I think again. Like, Boston is not like Florida where they have no state tax. Like, I, I think this guy wants to get paid, and I think he knows that the last six years he's been, like, like I said, criminally underpaid as a player. I think he's, like... He ranks something like uh, outside the top 100 or something uh, amongst forwards. So, yeah, he's going to be looking for a good paycheck. And, yeah, and, you know, it can help the Leafs tremendously if, if, he, if he says, yeah, give me $12 million or give me a, more than uh, McKinnon and McDavid are earning. And, you know, that, that's going to have a trickle-down effect. And, you know, it could benefit the Leafs uh, a lot. So, yeah, uh, let's see how much he gets paid. I, I think the guy's a tremendous player. I think he, he deserves whatever money he wants to get. Yeah, no, it'll be a super interesting offseason because we got that. And then, you know, Austin Matthews uh, can negotiate an extension on his deal as well. Uh, Michael, uh, always great to chat. Thanks for this, man. Hey, thanks, Ben. Take care, man. Yeah, you too. Michael Trakos of Post Media and author of The Next Ones. Pastor Nack's not taking nothing, right? Yeah. He's going to get paid, Uh, as is Austin Matthews, which, I mean, it goes without saying. Like, I, I... I do, I do wonder if the counting stats aren't what they were a season ago, which they won't be because he scored 60 goals and he's on pace for 40-ish, which is real good, real, real good, but not 60 goals good. I don't think it matters one iota that Austin Matthews writes his ticket and he's probably going to want to be the highest paid player in the national Hockey League, which Nathan McKinnon is right now, and Maple Leafs are probably okay with doing that. But it is going to be interesting if, like, yeah, the numbers continue on the trajectory that they're at. And honestly, you wonder if it impacts at all, and maybe this is hot takery, but, like, I wonder if it impacts at all his decision-making when it comes to playing, right? Like, maybe this guy would be better served to have more time off than the two games that he had before Saturday maybe he'd be closer to 100% if you just shut him down for a week two weeks a month but Austin Matthews knows that he's going into an offseason in which he can for the first time negotiate an extension with the Toronto Maple Leafs and doesn't want to again going from 60 goals to 40 goals is one thing going from 60 goals to like I don't know 30 is quite a number quite another despite the fact that yeah he can point to the, the games missed I I I wonder if that that's impacting things at all. Leafs, Florida Panthers tonight. And yeah, as, as much as I wanted uh, I, and do want and think I would if I were in his position, Kyle Dubas to go for it and mortgage all, all kinds of future assets for win now rental pieces at the deadline. I mean, the cautionary tale is staring you right in the face. They're going to be on the ice tonight. <laughs> Florida Panthers who won a President's Trophy, uh, traded for a defenseman that was... Slightly overrated. And now they, they could be missing out on Connor Bedard because of that. And the Montreal Canadiens controlling their pick. But they're four points back of uh, a playoff spot. So not all is lost yet for, uh, for the Florida Panthers. But certainly lots to play for for them, if not the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. When we come back, we'll talk to your guy in mind, Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet.ca and the At The Letters podcast. He was wearing a hard hat today and like one of those safety vests. 
as was everybody who was down at Rogers Center, which I don't, I, I'm going to ask him, I, I guess, was it for like, was it, was there utility in that? Or was that just for when, when everybody took their eventual selfies that they had a, it was like a cooler looking shot that they were wearing Blue Jays, logoed hard hats and uh, safety vests. But yeah, he was down at Rogers Center, as were so many Toronto media today, uh, for an unveiling of sorts of the renovations happening. And we'll talk, I guess, a little bit about the social spaces and the, the bars and the yada, 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 which is, yeah, it's interesting to one degree or another, but it doesn't impact product on the field. The fences might, though. And might be the reason why the Blue Jays traded away a silver slugger and replaced him with a former gold glove winner in Kevin Kiermaier. We'll talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith about that. We'll talk about the Bo Bichette arbitration stuff. Uh, Plenty of baseball with BNS coming up next. As the fan drive time continues, I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.